the women go to the tomb, and Jesus isn't there, and they have no idea what happened. Um, and that makes sense. One of the things that I've been saying over the last several weeks is that nobody expected Messiah to die. Uh, there were plenty of potential uh, Messiah-like figures who rose up to try to lead Israel into uh, freedom, and they were all killed. And when they died, that was it. Nobody in their inner circle turned to another and said, you know what, I think maybe he was the Messiah. That wouldn't have made any sense whatsoever. Uh, which is why I also love the line that uh, the angel gives to the women who are there saying, hey, like for the last time, seriously, remember when he was in Galilee, he said he was going to be handed over and then he would be raised from the dead on the third day. Then they, I guess, start to get it. And the women go back and they tell the men and the men don't believe them. I feel like there's a joke in there somewhere, but we're not going to go there. Uh, some of that, though, probably has to do with the fact that women were not considered credible witnesses. Their testimony was not acceptable in court in the first century. I'm not saying that's right. Let me be very clear about that. But that's how it was. And so Peter, of course, has to go and investigate on his own. And it blew their minds one, because, again, nobody really expected the Messiah to die in the first place. And if nobody expected the Messiah to die, definitely nobody expected the Messiah to be raised from the dead. In fact, uh, belief about resurrection in the first century was pretty consistent. Pretty much everybody in the world believed that it was not possible. And in fact, it was just a couple of groups of Jewish people who believed that resurrection would be possible. And those who believed that resurrection was possible believed that that would be a thing that happens on the last day. Nobody saw the resurrection coming. Now, if I can put a plug in, uh, we are next week in the pastor's Bible study class going to take a deep dive into that, and it will blow your mind. Uh, not this week, because this week is special. We have resurrection burritos to eat, <laughs> and I'm excited about that, and Easter eggs and all that other stuff. He is risen. Here's a burrito. So, <laughs> and God saw that it was good. So, um... <laughs> So just, we'll put a marker down there. It came to the surprise of everybody. And uh, when uh, Peter came, he, he just saw like the, 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 empty, uh, the, the empty tomb. Like when, when Jesus, uh, two of his, his followers were walking basically back home after he had been killed and they had heard that Jesus had been raised, but that just bothered them. That, that didn't make any sense. And Jesus came and walked with them. They still didn't get it. They still didn't really recognize him. And that makes, I think, a lot of sense because we as human beings know on a fundamental level, like beyond the thinking part of our brain and kind of like deep down, that when you're dead, you stay dead. That's how it works. That's how it 
always has worked. A couple years ago, I uh, was at a conference with uh, really my best friend, and uh, it, it was in Phoenix, and I love this conference because it, uh, I mean, the material is good, but it ends up being kind of a reunion. I end up always running into like former classmates when I was at seminary, uh, people that I worked with um, in previous churches, people that I've known since high school. It's a ton of fun. Uh, so my friend and I are sitting on a bus uh, that they've hired to go from hotel to hotel to take us to the conference site. And we go to the next, uh, the next stop, and up walks a friend of ours, Chris. He was a classmate um, at seminary, and, and we knew him well. He's a cool guy, and so we both go, Chris, hey! And he looks, and he glares at me. And so now immediately it's like, okay, um... All right, how did we part ways? We, I mean, I'm a pretty low-conflict guy, except for like a couple of things, and then I will bring it. But in general, uh, so I'm, I'm like thinking, all right, no, we, I, I guess things ended okay, um, whatever. And so the whole time, like we were like, hey, come on, come sit down. He was deeply uncomfortable with the fact that I was there. And, and so, you know, it's kind of break the ice. So like, so where are you? Uh, you know, what, what are you doing now? And he was serving at a, uh, at, at a, at a church in, in some area, but he was saying he also had a call to another church, and so he was telling a little bit about that. And then uh, Carl, my friend, he starts explaining, you know, like, oh, yeah, we, uh, uh, he was at this church, and now he's at this church, and he's doing this thing, and then, that was cool. And then, you know, naturally, it kind of comes to me. And I go, yeah. And then Chris kind of like interrupted me. He goes, okay, hold on. In seminary, you had leukemia, right? Which, for what it's worth, I, I did. Um, it was kind of an unrelenting nightmare for a little while. I've had some ups and downs, but I'm, I'm, obviously I'm doing uh, okay now. And so I said, well, yeah, yeah. I kind of had some ups and downs. I relapsed back, you know, in 2010, but um, I'm doing okay now. He goes, yeah. I heard you died. <laughs> and, uh, no? <laughs> I don't know what to tell you other than that was not me. <laughs> like, he, he stepped on that bus and he saw somebody he knew to be dead who was alive. And it, like, short-circuited everything else in his brain. I had a very minor, similar experience at a previous church. An older member had died. I was sitting waiting in the sanctuary, and family usually shows up early uh, to the service, and in walked his brother. I had never met him. Uh, they weren't twins, but they could have been. And even I, like the, the thinking part of my brain just got overridden. It was like, oh, okay, that's not Ben. Wow, that, it's, it's deeply uncomfortable. As strange as that may sound, to see somebody that you know to be dead, who is now alive. It cuts against everything we know about how life and the universe is supposed to work. And you can tell that it traumatized Jesus' earliest followers. And it took them a while to figure out just what this means. Because there's the event, 
Like, okay, some of us saw him die. And now he's here. But then there's the next question. What is God doing? What does this actually mean? And as it turns out, that question is a little more complicated than we might think. We talk about Jesus dying for our sins. That is true. Absolutely true. But in that slice of time, there were other ways for God to forgive your sins. The temple was still standing. Sacrifices were still a thing. So to say that Jesus sacrificed his life for our sins, while not technically wrong, it might feel a little like overkill. And it took the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the genius and and relentlessness of a man named Paul, who wrote our second reading, to start to put things together. He would start to say things like, hey, if Jesus is still dead, then, then you are still dead in your, your sins. But Jesus is alive. That's the first fruits. In other words, what he's saying is, God will one day do for you, like y'all, you, what he did for Jesus. So that raises another question. What problem is the resurrection of Jesus solving? It's death. Death is the problem that he is solving. That he was the first fruit. He was the beginning of this new creation. In our Old Testament reading from the prophet Isaiah, he starts calling, he starts talking about this new heavens and the new earth. That's resurrection language. Because it, resurrection doesn't just mean bodies, physical bodies. It does mean that, but it also means creation itself. Paul would later write uh, that, that creation is, is itself groaning and yearning and waiting for this moment, for it to take a big sigh of relief, which is its Sabbath rest. So if God, and this is the promise of resurrection, will, will one day do for, for you what he did for Jesus, that also means that you have been set right. That, that the, uh, uh, as, as one poet put it in a sense, that, that the check written as Jesus' body has cleared. It has now been deposited. His life taken away and then transformed also speaks to a reality in your heart as well. Now, we are used to death finally getting the last word. Death is an ugly, nasty thing. It is petty. 
It is terrifying. But it is also our reality. I, th- I think the, the ambiguity of death, the, the uncomfortableness, the awkwardness of death, It's something that we as modern Western Christians and Americans really don't like to talk about. That's why I loved the comment uh, that um, the the now deceased uh, comedian Norm MacDonald said. Yes, I'm going to quote Norm MacDonald on an Easter Sunday. And I can say this because I've gone through the whole cancer thing. He he said, like, cancer is a funny thing. He said... um, it, it, it's funny uh, in, in the sense that, that, you know, if you die, the cancer dies with you. So that feels more like a draw. <laughs> and in an uncomfortable sense, he's right. Unless we have this promise that God will do for us what he did for Jesus. Now we can start talking about victory. But what else? We have like these remnants or, or, or these echoes of death like shuddering through our lives, right? I mean, what are the things that drag you down? They, they, they can take you really, really high or you can be like really, really high and the things that just bring you low. What are you worried about? What are are the ways that you have suffered at the hands of others? What are the ways that you have suffered at your own hands? When have you had to say, God, forgive me, for I know exactly what I did? Resurrection has some things to say to that, too. That echoes of death tend to taint human life in the worst possible ways. And we're used to death getting the last word. Resurrection in Jesus is now the last word. So that means things like your divorce doesn't get the last word. Cancer, chronic illness, pain, suffering, struggle, None of that gets the last word. The uncertainty of the future doesn't get the last word. Taxes don't get the last word. That was a joke. (laughs) Taxes always get the last word. (laughs) The remnants of sin, the flesh, and the devil are everywhere. And the biggest lie the enemy can ever tell us is that that is the final word that defines you. The truth of the resurrection of Jesus is that now nothing defines you except for the one truly innocent man executed, buried, and raised from the dead to defeat death permanently and eternally. 
now sealing you with the promise that nothing defines you except for him who was crucified and raised. Nothing gets the last word except for Jesus crucified and raised. The things that suck you down and seem to tack you to the earth and keep you in the mud. The mistakes that you have made, the decisions that others have made that will affect you for the rest of your life. Your illness, your relationships falling apart, work being a nightmare, the economy tanking, uh, the the the. The weather just going crazy. Bad allergies because Albuquerque, wow, that's special. Um, (laughs) Even in your darkest moments, whether at your hands or the hands of others, none of that defines you except for Christ crucified, Christ conquered death, Where do you need that kind of resurrection power in your life right now? Everybody brings a whole lot to the table. I don't know where a lot of you are, but I do know this. In Jesus, the one who conquered death, the final words spoken over your life will be resurrection. Because what God did for Jesus, he will do for you on the last day. And what God did for Jesus by raising him from the dead, that new life is still in you now. Marked by the Holy Spirit, sealed by the waters of baptism, reaffirmed and renewed by the body and blood of Jesus himself. Happy Easter. Christ is risen. Please rise.